0: Well, here we are, it's uh, week three of our marriage series and we've been stepping through some great advice. Now, I know that's a pretty big title and it's a pretty big thing to, uh, to claim, but basically we figured this out that all the advice that we ever really need comes from the pages of the scriptures. All the advice that we ever need to, need to have in our relationships comes from what we find in Christ. And so as a people though, we are those that are always trying to find a quick answer, right? We're always trying to find that, that, that opportunity just to get something solved quick, a hot fix. And it's no different in our relationships. It's no diff- different in our marriages. We're looking for something. If we have an issue, we're looking for something that'll fix it right now and then fix it for good. we watch the infomercials and why can't that tape that you slap on something really hold things together, right? But we figured this out, every single one of us, we have these hopes, dreams, and desires. And we have these from the very beginning and it takes us a while to figure out what they are, but I know this for sure, little girls are a little bit better at understanding what their hopes, dreams, and desires are because they dream about their future, possibly in relationship more than little boys do. A little girl can tell you what her hopes, dreams, and desires are for her future most of the time. Ask a little boy, you get this. I don't know. But every single one of us, regardless of our marital status, regardless of our age, we have our, our box that we carry around, and it has our hopes, dreams. desires. Now, if you're single, you're trying to figure this out, you're trying to understand exactly what do I hope for in the future, what are my dreams, and really, what do I desire out of the relationships and the things that I will experience in my life. And we go through our singleness, we go through dating, and eventually we go to that engagement process. And then when we walk up to the altar, when we get married, we both carry our boxes up to the altar, and we swap the boxes. And we say, here, here are my hopes, my dreams, and my desires, make them happen. And what happens is it's no longer one of those fun things that you dream about. Eventually those things, those hopes and dreams and desires, they become expectations. And expectations and relationships create this debt debtor relationship where someone owes someone else something. You owe me, you owe me this kind of life. You owe me to do what a husband should do. You owe me to do what a wife should do. You owe me to be a man the way a man should be, or you owe me to be a woman the way a woman should be. And we have these expectations and we create this debt-debtor relationship. And what we don't realize is that transactional relationship makes it impossible for us to receive and give love. Expectations. Expectations create, make what should be, they make what should be enjoyable transactional. They make what should be an enjoyable relationship for the rest of your life, one that is based on transactions. I give, or actually I pay, you receive, you pay, I receive in our relationships become this give and take give and take and transactional relationships are miserable they are absolutely miserable cuz here's what else happens in those relationships whoever is the better negotiator they win Whoever can, whoever can fight the best, whoever has thought out this whole process the best, they're the ones that win almost every single time. But what we realize this is when I win, we lose. When one person wins, we lose. But still, we bring every bit of our hopes and dreams and desires into our relationship and it is absolutely unavoidable. But the trouble is, most of our desires, most of the desires that we bring into relationships, they're not tangible. They're things like, I want to be respected. I just want to be respected. I I want to feel like when I enter the room or when I'm in this relationship that you have a respect for me. I want to be desired. I, I, I want you to, to want to be with me. I want to be admired. And I, I think, honestly, the respect and admiration that's one of the things that guys want the most because they struggle with those things the most. They want to be admired. Somebody that says, You've got this. I know you have it. I believe in you because every other hour of the day, they're saying, I, I don't think I've got this. I'm not so sure. And ladies, you want to be cherished. You want that romance that swept you off your feet to sweep you off your feet once more. You want to be protected. We all want trust. We all want a trusting relationship. You want a relationship that is defended, that's pursued, and that's prioritized. Last week, we decided that we, keep, that we keep our hopes, dreams, and desires from becoming an expectation when we decide that the other person doesn't owe me anything. Because as long as she owes me, as long as he owes me, It's a transactional relationship. It's a debt or debtor situation. It's score keeping. Tit for tat. And that type of relationship absolutely destroys intimacy. Last week, we left with this question. Well, okay, that's all great and good, and I'm so glad to say that they don't owe me anything, but I have these desires, and I have this box that I've carried around since I was this big. I have this desire that's inside me, so what do I do with these desires? What do I do with these things that, that are, are just part of me? They've been with me for so long. They have to be something that God wants for me. I have these desires. I have this thought. I have this need. Well, good thing for us. Peter has a little bit to tell us about this, and he gave, gave, gives some advice that... Honestly, you're going to say, you know what, this is probably some of the most unrealistic advice I've ever received, mainly because it's a religious advice. It's very much tied to your relationship with God. Now, if you're not a person that has a relationship with God, that's going to be one of the hardest things that you hear. And so here's what I want you to hear right now. Hear me out. Listen to what we have to say, because this is something that Peter understood. And while what we're going to read isn't directly related to marriage, it is absolutely pertinent to what we're talking about today. Because the alternatives to the advice we're going to receive from Peter, they're actually worse. They're actually worse. There some objections to these things, right? And those objections... Are things like, I have these expectations, I have these desires. And these desires are absolutely tangible or they're intangible. But I have them, so what do I do? One response is that we could ignore them. We could ignore those desires. We could say, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'll get what I want later. But if we pretend not to care, if we pretend not to acknowledge our unsatisfied desires, we end up weary. We end up in an unhealthy place. Relationships, when we feel like we're not getting what we need out of them, they get weird. And ignoring these things, ignoring those desires is not going to make it better. So we could do the next thing. We could stay busy. We could absolutely throw ourselves into our days. We could throw ourselves into our jobs. We could bury ourselves in work. We can say, you know what, I, I, you know, it's just so busy at work, it's just so busy, and, and it's not like I'm really getting the things that I think I want anyway at home, so I'm just gonna work, and I'm, I'm just gonna keep working because at least there, I feel like I've accomplished something. Or we throw ourselves into our kids, and we're like, you know what, it's our marriage, our everything is about our kids. <laughs> Only one problem. One day, those kids they're not in the house anymore. Then what do you do? Or we can create our own world. We can dive into a hobby. We can dive into sports. We can dive into all manner of things. And we can, we can just pour ourselves into something while we ignore the things that we want the most. And all of this, it's a setup for our third option. Our third option is that we can just find someone else. But here's the problem with that one. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, those problems, those dreams, those desires, those hopes, every bit that you had in your box, you don't leave it behind. You take it with you, and then you give it to somebody else. And honestly, everything that you're experiencing just starts over again. And you're like, well, maybe this time will be different because there's so much better right now. But remember, here's what's going on in a dating and engagement relationship. You ready? You're on your best behavior. You are. But here's an observation, and this is free. People don't rush into a new relationship because they're eager to give their lives to someone, they're hoping to get what they didn't get. If you're dating someone who has been married before, time is your friend. People don't rush into a new relationship because they're eager to give their lives to someone. They're hoping to get what they didn't get before. If you're dating someone who's been married, time is your friend. And time is their friend as well. Take time. When you feel pressure to live up to expectations, when you feel pressure to measure up to what someone else thinks you should be, it's time to hit pause and possibly hit eject. So, what do you do? What do you do with this box, with everything that's in your box? Peter tells us, going along with this mutual submission theme, he tells us in Peter, uh, starting Peter, uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter is in a, re- in a discussion about relationships and the relationships between people. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he starts to make a statement similar to the one that we, t- that we looked at with Paul last week that we're to cast everything that we have in our boxes on God. We're to take everything in our box and just kind of start heaving it out on God. Get it out of there. So here's what he says. First Peter chapter five, starting in verse five. All of you, which is all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Put on humility. That means, what does it mean to be humble? It means that you make actions that are in line with humility. You go small. You put others first. You ask a very simple question, what would a humble person do? And do that. All of you, he says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. Clothe yourselves with humility because God pulls back, resists, pushes away from the proud, just like you do. Just like you do when you encounter somebody that is entitled, somebody that is demanding, somebody that you know is just trying to squeeze the most that they can out of someone else. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor shows grace to the humble. And in this is an extraordinary promise from God that God will give you what you need in the moment for the moment if you clothe yourself in humility. God will give you the strength to endure. In fact, humility in our lives is an invitation to God to come and do his work. How can we be humble? Do the actions that humble people do. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't try to be first unless you're racing to be the first person to be last. Put others ahead of yourself. And here's the thing. A lot of us will say, you know what? Every time I know what my motives are and I know that I am... Can I say I'm the most humble person? Well, does that cancel out my humility? But I know what my actions are. I know what my thoughts are. And so obviously when I act on something, when I do something, it's out of humility. But here's the thing. People don't judge your humility by the thoughts in your head. They do it with the actions in your hands and your feet. You can't just be humble in your head. So Peter continues. He says... Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And this is important because when you want to spout off, when you think that somebody has done something that is offensive, that's wrong, that you need to correct, that goes against your desire, that goes against what you want, that goes against any of those things, when you want to spout off, when you want to demand that they make it right, that they change it, that they do what you want, When you wanna demand, defend, argue, Peter says, go low, humble yourself, and put yourself under, put yourself in God's hand. Put yourself in God's mighty hand. Peter says, declare your dependency on God. Declare your dependency on God to meet certain things in your life. Don't push those things on someone else. Don't push those desires onto Him. Don't push those desires onto her. But then there's a second promise that comes out of this that He may lift you up in due time. If you go low, if you humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up in due time. God will lift you up with His hand. God will lift you out. And you're like, great, well, when? What does it look like? How does that actually work in real life? I mean, really, can I be humble all the time? What about my rights? What about the things that I need? And if I put myself in God's hand, what if I don't stay there? Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. And this is where we need to go figure out how we can cast our anxiety on him. Basically, it means this, unload on God. I know we're in church. I know that we're supposed to only say nice things. We're only supposed to be happy and cheery. But in this moment, what we need to understand that God says, cast your anxieties on me. Cast your anxieties on me because I care for you, he says. Throw things, hurl things, fling everything that you've got because you have emotions that God created in you. And you have these desires that you don't know anything to do with. So God says, unload them on me. Take everything that's in your box and you just start throwing it towards your Heavenly Father. Your anxieties, your cares, your unmet needs, your unfulfilled dreams, all of them. Because he promised, he said, God said, Cast your cares on me. And you say, oh, but okay. That's all good and fine. And that sounds really nice. Let's let's just put things over on God. Yeah, I get that. But you don't know what he promised. You don't know what he said he would do. And you don't know what she said. And you don't know what I thought. I, I, I thought that things were going to be different. I thought that the way he was going to treat me would be different than the others. I believed that I did the right thing. And Peter's telling you, above all else, don't pray polite prayers. Don't pray those prayers that are just nice and neat and wrapped in a bow. Don't pray the prayers that are just kind of rote prayers. Don't pray the polite prayers and don't pray the formal prayers. My dearest Heavenly Father, in heaveneth, right? <laughs> don't pray the polite prayers, don't pray the formal prayers. Instead, God says, pray honest prayers. Peter says, pray honest prayers, and you know why Peter said to pray the honest prayers? Because he had watched Jesus pray honest prayers. He had watched him agonize in the garden, writhing and screaming, calling out to God, and watched him and said, oh my goodness, there may be something that I've been missing about this whole prayer thing. In fact, it was so much so that the disciples came and asked Jesus how to pray. He says, pray honest prayers. Take your unmet hopes, dreams, desires. Take those expectations and throw them at your Heavenly Father. All that energy that you would have directed to somebody else, direct that energy to Him. And don't just pray them in your head. (laughs) Because we know how polite it gets in our heads sometimes. Pray them out loud. You might need to go in the closet. You might need to go for a walk. You might need to go somewhere else because it might get actually kind of loud. But pray honest prayers. Peter kind of borrowed this idea from one of David's prayers. If you'll turn to uh, Psalm chapter 55, this is an example of an honest prayer from David. David said, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide, but it's you. If it was a foe, I'd understand, I, but it's you, my companion, my close friend. Now, as David's writing out these these prayers, we just kind of get this peek into his journal as he is thinking and writhing and and walking through some of the most difficult things that he's ever endured, and he writes this. He says, but it's you, a companion, one that's like myself, my close friend, (laughs) with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. Listen, we went to church together if it was somebody that was an enemy, I get it. But we went to sh- church together. We walked about among the worshipers. <laughs> I'd understand if it was somebody else. somebody <laughs> says, let death, let death take my enemies by surprise. Oh, this turned. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. Kids, cover your ears. He says, let them burn in hell. For evil finds lodging among them. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the betrayal? Someone that I loved, that was my friend, my companion, I worshiped with them. They are now my enemy. He says, as for me, as for me, I will call to God and the Lord who saves me evening, morning, and night. Evening, morning, and noon. Evening, Morning and noon, I will cry out. I will cry out to God. I will pray to God. I will say to God, I am in distress. God, you know what's going on. God, you know these things that I'm struggling with. You've seen what has happened. You know my unmet desire. You know the things that I'm struggling in. I will cry out to you evening, morning, and noon. I will cry out and you will hear my voice, oh God. That God rescues me. He rescues me unharmed from battle. Waged against me, even though there are so many that oppose me. God. God, who is enthroned. Who is enthroned from of old. He doesn't change. So God, I know this, that I have somebody that I used to walk with. That I used to worship with. And things went wrong. And God, my emotion is that they get everything that's coming through them. But God, who is enthroned from of old, and God, that, the God that does not change, he will hear me, and he'll humble them. He'll bring them back under humility because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. This person is known by their fruit. He attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. But his, his talk, oh, his talk, it is smooth like butter. In his wor- his, the, but war is in his heart, and his words are more soothing than oil. Yet, his words cut like a sword. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. And he will never let a righteous person be shaken. It says, but you, O God, bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. (laughs) The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. Right? That's not a nice prayer. But I'll tell you what, that's an honest prayer. Throwing everything that you have down in prayer. If you've never been that honest with God, I'll tell you right now that you've probably never really opened your heart to God. Because only when we are honest with God can our hearts be open to God. Your heavenly Father, guess what? He created you and He can handle it. God can handle every bit of your anger. He can handle every bit of your emotion because He made you. So you can say, God, I am frustrated. That man that you gave me, right? That's why Peter says, Cast. All your anxiety on him, so God, when i'm frustrated, when I 'm frustrated with her, when she 's frustrated with me, when she 's frustrated because he never listens, if the thought is gone, I wish that I had never met him. I wish that I had never married him. I wish that I'd never slept with, well, there's that. Anyway, God, I need you. Cast all your anxieties on him. If you couldn't be that honest with your earthly father, this is extremely difficult to understand. If you feel like maybe you just can't talk to God that way, that you can't unleash your emotions. Remember, he's God. He created you. The one that gave you emotions can take every bit of what you unleash because he cares for you. If it's important to you, it's important to your Father in heaven because you are important to your Father in Heaven. You're going to unload your anxiety and your cares somewhere. You're going to unload it. It could be on the checker at the checkout station. It could be at the restaurant where the server got your order wrong. It could be at the person down the hall, the person riding beside you in the car or you can put it somewhere else. Our Heavenly Father says to cast our cares on Him. Start there, because He invites it. So what does that look like? We take that box, and we give it to God every day. We hit our knees and we give God every bit of our hopes and our dreams and our desires, our unmet expectations. We take it and we say, God, here you go. Because that's humility. And you take, you have to do this. You have to take every item out. Say, God. I give you this job that didn't pan out the way that I thought it would. God, I give you this home that I thought that we would have by now. God, I give you, and you just start naming everything one by one by one. And you name them out loud. And you give them to him. And you say, God, I can't. But you can. Humility. Humility. Humility is an invitation for God to do something remarkable. And if you do that, if you get on your knees and you give God everything that's in your box, the very first remarkable thing that he is going to do is going to be in you. The remarkable change is not going to be in your spouse or your fiance. It's going to be in you. Because you will begin to see what's in your box differently. And you're going to discover what's behind some of the things that are in your box. You're going to understand a little bit more of the why you put those things in your box. In fact, you may throw a few things in that box away. You may discover that you're trying to squeeze something out of someone that they were never created to give you in the first place. So as you pray honest prayers. You can let it go with all honesty. You can let those prayers out before your heavenly Father. In the relational tension it'll start to come down. Laying those things down before your heavenly father, the tension begins to melt away and they'll sense it. And you'll probably discover that the two of you actually hope for and desire the same things. And I think Peter, when he wrote this, he thought about something. Now, this isn't in your Bible. You're not going to find a footnote that said, here's what Peter thought when he wrote this. But I think in Peter's life, he had figured out that all of these things that he had carried with him When he said, Lord, I will never leave you. Lord, others may fall, but I won't. I'm ready to storm the gates with you. And he found himself claiming three times that he never knew him. And Peter, he comes face to face with Jesus again knowing everything about how he had let his own self get in the way. Jesus restored him. Jesus said, I give you grace. And then he put him in charge. The transformation that you desire in your own marriage, in your own relationships will never take place unless you take it to God first. Take it to your heavenly father because he cares for you. So we've been going through this and we've decided that uh, some of the great advice that we can get is that we don't let our desires become expectations. We learn to say to the other person, you don't owe me anything, but I owe you everything. Marriage becomes this submission competition. It becomes this race to the back of the line. How can I put you first? How can I help? How can I leverage me for you? And today's great advice is this. Know where to toss your frustration. Because let's be honest, sometimes you just have to throw things. So throw them to your heavenly Father. There's one more great piece of advice, but that's for next week. Would you pray with me?